Are you ready to jump into God's Word together today? All right, today we're going to the book of Habakkuk, everybody. The book of Habakkuk. By the way, sometimes it's Habakkuk and sometimes it's Habakkuk, and I say both. And the reason is I was raised, like growing up, I always heard everybody say Habakkuk. And uh, then I went to seminary and everybody seemed to say Habakkuk. So I say both. Sometimes I say Habakkuk and sometimes I say Habakkuk. And it really just comes down to what emphasis I want to put on what syllable. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, um, and so, <laughs> so anyways, Habakkuk is where we're going to be. And so let me give you just a little background because I think it's so important that how many know it's so important we read the word of God, but it's so important we understand the context because if I have a text without a context, I'll get conned. And there's a lot of scripture grabbing in the church. I've heard a lot of pastors do scripture grabbing where they just grab a verse and they preach it and they um, recontextualize it, but I really think they miscontextualize it. And so I think it's just so important. So, um, so uh, Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets so um, if you want to know how your Old Testament is organized, if you can remember 512, 5512, 512, 5512, five books of law, 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five major prophets, 12 minor prophets, 512, 5512. So Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Now, what you need to understand about Bible history, and this will just help you, I'm not going to walk you through all the Bible history. But after, so there's king, the first king over God's people we know is king, right, Saul, right? And then we know King David and then David's son, Solomon. After Solomon, though, the kingdom is divided into a northern and a southern kingdom, a you guys and a y'all, an unsweet and a sweet tea. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a northern kingdom and southern. So the northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. He becomes king over Judah. Judah, and then a, a guy named Jeroboam kind of defects and, and leads a rebellion, and he takes over Israel, which is the northern kingdom. So from that point, so you could say roughly 1,000 B.C., so from about 1,000 B.C., when you move forward through the Bible, you'll have a king over the northern kingdom, a king over the southern kingdom, and there's always a prophet to the northern kingdom and a prophet to the southern kingdom. So as you're reading Chronicles and Kings and Judges and those books, sometimes it can get a little bit confusing if you don't basically understand that basic formula, okay? So um, Habakkuk is actually a prophet to Judah. He prophesies in the late 6th century BC, probably 604 to 609 is where I, I personally think there's some other scholars. I'm not a scholar, but scholarship usually puts him there, or some will say around 630. And, and it's he didn't date himself, and because we don't have an exact, he doesn't name some things that would help us date him, but he gives us enough contextual information that we kind of can place it in one of those two places. I, I put him uh, in 6, you know, 04 to 609 BC, or 609 to 604 BC, since the timeline's moving that way, counting down, everybody. And so, um, so what's going on? Well, um, Assyria emerged as a world power, and in 721, the Assyrians overthrow Israel, and they take over the northern kingdom of Israel. And so that was a little over 100 years ago. Now, Babylon is emerging as a world power under King Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually King Nebuchadnezzar too, but the other King Nebuchadnezzar is not in your Bible. So King Nebuchadnezzar, um, and so Nebuchadnezzar too, uh, he's the one you read about in the book of Daniel. So now Babylon is emerging as a world power, and um, is, Egypt has kind of been driven back. Assyria is being defeated. Babylon is emerging. And so as that, now the northern kingdom is suffering at the hands of the Babylonians. The world is suffering at the hands of the Babylonians. And Habakkuk sees the Babylonians are going to overthrow Judah. Like, there's a bad day coming here. We have problems. Um, and it actually did happen. Uh, when Babylon becomes a strong power, uh, Israel had had, or sorry, Judah had had a good king, Josiah. Uh, he became king at eight years old, um, and he ruled for 30-something years. And he leads a revival and reformation and a return to God's word. He tears down the high places. He, he, they get rid of the cultic cultish practices, all those things. Um, and then uh, from that, there's a couple of kings. They don't stay kings very long. Uh, and then we get to jo Jehoiakim. 
And he's a, he's a terrible king. In fact, he cuts a deal with Babylon to stay in power as a puppet king, but they have to pay all their taxes and stuff to Babylon, and then he rebels. And so in 597 B.C. is when King Nebuchadnezzar comes and uh, besieges Jerusalem and takes Judah. Uh, and then there's a revolt, and then uh, in 586 he comes and destroys uh, Jerusalem. And that's, that's when he destroys the temple. Um, so that was the first temple period, right? So Habakkuk, Habakkuk is writing uh, during this time, and he sees what's going on. And what's really interesting about him that's different from really all the other prophets is all the other prophets receive a word from God to deliver to the people. Habakkuk actually takes an inquisition of the people to God. He speaks to God on behalf of people. And the ultimate inquisition was, God, I can't believe you're going to let Babylon take over, you know, harm your people and, and enslave your people. And, um, but it was prophesied because the people's rebellion against God that God would use essentially Assyria and Babylon to bring judgment on Israel. Remember, this is old covenant, not the covenant of grace. So judgment, right, comes. And God says, yeah, I'm actually going to, you know, so, so the chapter one, if you will, of Habakkuk is this inquisition of God. Chapter two, God actually answers and we're going to read just a portion from that. But in chapter 2, God answers, and then he says, I'm actually going to do that uh, because I said I was, and th but don't think Babylon's going to get away. In other words, his question was, why are the evil people prospering and God's people suffering? Now, doesn't that sound like a relevant question for today, right? And so it's really a cool book if you read God's response, but God says yes. But here's what God says. In everything you see, I'm actually working my plan. When it looks like evil is succeeding and righteousness is failing, don't worry, I'm still working my plan. And so he says, I'm actually working my plan, but he actually gives five theologically called, they're called the woe statements of Babylon. In chapter two, it gives these five. It has to do with their economical, because it's shady economical um, practices and their security. And it has to do with their uh, pleasure or drunkenness and their idolatry. But he basically says, oh, I'm going to take care of Babylon. Don't you worry about that. But I'm working my plan. And so just because God, it doesn't seem like he's moving in a way that makes sense to us. Come on, somebody. He's still moving. And it will make sense in the end. And then chapter 3, uh, Habakkuk kind of gives this, po this poem, psalm to the Lord. Um, and so we're going to read in chapter 2 uh, something that, that God says, the way he starts, uh, really his answer to Habakkuk, um, and then we're going to kind of contextualize that for our lives. So why don't you stand, Habakkuk chapter 2, everybody, verse 2. I'm just going to read verse 2 and verse 3. Um, but verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision down. Now this is one of the familiar verses in Habakkuk. Uh, there are some others that are very familiar, like the just shall live by faith. Paul says it, but it actually is a quotation from Habakkuk. But Habakkuk says, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision down, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Come on, here's your word for the day. If it seems slow, wait for it. Come on. It may not be here yet, but that doesn't mean God's not working. Come on. God is the slowest person I've ever met to always be on time, but he's always on time. You understand what I'm saying? Um, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Come on. Uh, we're in a series that we called Unstuck. Today, I want to talk uh, along these lines. See your way forward or see your way out, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. As we open it, God, we open our hearts. I believe you have a word for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online. Lord, help us to hear it and receive it and help us to hide it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing to honor the word of God. Uh, see your way out. See your way out. Um, uh, we haven't, I haven't got to go in a couple years, but, but uh, for several years in a row, uh, the guys in my life group or some of the guys in my life group uh, would go on a hunt. And I remember um, one hunt we went on, and if you understand about going on hunting, you get up before it's 
daylight and you go out and you, you know, you hide <laughs> and you wait on the animals and then you, and then you, uh, you uh, love them and, um, <laughs> and uh, you, uh, we'll use the word harvest them and uh, you harvest the animal because the Lord gave it to you. And, um, and if you're with PETA, I, I don't care. And, um, and so, <laughs> uh, but I remember coming back in uh, to the to the house where we're gonna have breakfast that morning after hunting, I saw this like rent a car in the middle. Like we're in West Texas, it's terrible terrain. You don't drive cars. Certainly, you don't really don't even drive trucks out to where we were. We were using ATVs and uh, side by sides, and um, and this car is just kind of beat up. And it's beat to death, and it's just kind of stuck. And I said, "What's the deal?" Obviously, it didn't belong there. Like, what's the deal? And like, they said, "Well, this guy came in last night uh, to hunt, and he took a wrong turn in the entrance, and just drove out through the wilderness until he finally got stuck. And then I guess he got out and walked. Um, and and he, what I realized is, he got out and walked and left the car there because he was stuck and he couldn't see his way out." Because a lot of times when we're stuck, what we need is we need to be able to see a way out. We need to be able to see a way forward. Maybe you feel like in life between 2020 and this, we've just never seemed to recover. And we're still, like we talked about last week, living a little bit reactive to the world. Instead, It's almost like we're living in re- reaction to the world instead of in response to God's calling on our life. And maybe you just still kind of feel a little stuck, like I'm just waiting and bracing for the next thing. I'm, you know, just trying to survive. Well, maybe that's just because you haven't seen your way out. You haven't seen a better way to go. And so what I want to talk about today is really the power of vision in our lives and how we all not only need a vision, that's true, but we can all have a vision. In fact, I'm going to end by giving you some steps to take to really um, kind of to really get some clarity and really understand the vision that God has for your life. Um, I think when we're talking about vision, let me just start by saying a few things. I think there's a danger in not living with vision. And, And let me try to explain this if I could. If you could imagine being blind for a minute, And I'm not saying blind people don't have vision. In fact, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Helen Keller is is this quote where she says, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. And then I don't know where it is. But she says, essentially, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. So, so I, I, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. But I want you to imagine if you were blind for a minute, there's, when we don't have vision, we could liken it to being blind. Because in a way, you think about it, when you're blind, you're more, um, you're more open to being injured. Because you just can't see obstacles and you can't see things. And so, and so when we don't have, like the number one danger of vision is it, in, it increases the opportunity for injury. And I think this could be true. A lot of people, you were injured by a bad decision, by a bad business decision, by a bad life decision, by a bad relationship because you just didn't have clear vision, right? So when I can't see, when I don't have vision, it increases the opportunity for for injury. It also inhibits acceleration. For instance, if I said right now, everyone just pack up your stuff and exit the room as fast as you can, then you'd get up and you would take off like this. But if we turned off all the lights and I blindfolded everybody and I said, now exit the room as fast as you can, it would be more like, Right? Are, are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? And so when I don't have vision, listen, it increases injury, but it also inhibits acceleration, meaning I really can't reach my potential. I don't move as fast through life because I'm not sure which way to go. And the third danger of vision is that it demands, or, or the third danger of not having vision is it demands assistance. When I can't see, I need a lot more help. I, I don't know the plan for my life. I need somebody to help me. I need someone to point me in the right direction. In fact, if we're being honest, sometimes when we don't have vision, not only do we need assistance, but it makes us codependent. And it also makes us susceptible to people sometimes who say they have a vision for us. Well, that's good because I don't have a vision for me. I'll go with your vision for me, etc. 
And so there's some dangers to not having vision. I think when we're talking about vision, you say, well, what are we talking about? Well, I think there's a principle in vision in that I really think the first thing God wants to do is to give vision. The first thing God does in all of creation is he turns on the light. Essentially, he enables sight because sight is possible when there's illumination or there's light. In fact, in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And I think the first thing that God does is that God turns on the light. He wants to give vision. When you think about uh, the great patriarchs in the Bible or the great people in the Bible, you think about, you know, Abraham. God says, God comes to him and God, in a way, turns on the light by saying, Abraham, I want you to be a great nation. Moses, God is literally just living his life in the wilderness. He's a shepherd and God lights a bush on fire, but it doesn't burn. But he turns on the light, if you will, gets Moses' attention and says, hey, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And you could walk through, God. David is just in a shepherd field, minding and taking and tending care of, or taking care, tending sheep, when God calls him out and says, I want you to be a king. By the way, a point here might be made. If you really want vision, be faithful. Because all those men were faithful where they were, which is why God came to them to give them greater vision than what they had. Are you with me? The point is, though, you walk all through the Bible, and God starts by giving vision. If you think about it, the apostle uh, uh, Paul, the way he becomes the apostle Paul, remember, as he's on his way to Damascus, he's actually persecuting Christians, and God blinds him in order to give him vision. He says, no, you're going to preach the gospel. And he ends up being really the apostle to the Gentiles, which for most of us, that's us. And we're so thankful and grateful. And so the first thing God does is he gives vision. When we're talking about vision, vision is a conceptual view of the future. In other words, you could say it's kind of like a picture. It's not everything about the picture or the future. It's not everything about the future, and it's not everything that's going to happen, and it's not every step that I'm going to take, but it gives me something that's in the future, just like what we just read in Habakkuk. He said, write this vision down. He said, it's for an appointed time. It's not going to delay, but it's not yet. It's coming, but it's not today. In other words, it's a future that's out. It's a, it's a picture that's out in the future, and it's something to start giving some context to your life and meaning to your life. And so when we're talking about vision, what we're asking God for is we're asking God, hey, give me that picture that I'm working towards, that I'm moving towards, that I'm, you could say, living towards. And so when we're talking about vision, you need to understand that vision comes from God. Ultimately, vision is not determined, it's discovered. Now, here's what you need to understand about you that may help with the vision conversation. You need to understand that you are here because God had vision. You actually were created from God's vision and for God's vision. Let me explain. So what is God's vision? Well, simply put, on earth as it is in heaven. So God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, but he decides... I want to create a physical planet. In other words, God is spirit. He's incorporeal. That's the doctrinal name, the incorporeality of God. Um, but, but because God doesn't have a body, he's spirit. He's the ruler of the universe. But he decides, I want to make a physical planet, and I want to rule over it. And in order to do that, now watch this. So there's my vision. I'm going to expand my kingdom and my rule and my reign over a physical planet. So he says, let there be light. And he creates the heavens and the earth and all these animals and all this. And then day six comes and he says, now, in order to really reign over earth, what I want to do is create a family in my likeness and image. But they will have physical bodies. And to them, I will delegate the authority to rule and reign and expand my kingdom over the earth. So because God wanted to expand his reign and kingdom over the earth, it necessitated Adam. And so Adam came from the vision of God, 
but he was created also for the vision of God. And ultimately, this is what the Bible talks about you in the same manner, because when the Bible talks, it, it, we have wonderful scriptures about Jeremiah where God says, hey, before I formed you, I knew you, and before you were born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, meaning Jeremiah created you from my vision for my vision. But we all love to claim the promise, and we should, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for us, and it's a good plan to give us hope and a future. Well, what are we talking about? Hope and a future and a good plan. Sounds like we're talking about a vision that you too are called, just like Adam, we are all given a commission. Adam was given a commission. We're given a commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That, that's our commission. Well, we then were created from the vision of God for the vision of God. In fact, Hebrews 2 verse 10 says, we are his, uh, some versions say craftsmanship, some versions say masterpiece. I kind of like masterpiece because I've looked in the mirror, y'all. You understand what I'm saying? And when I looked in the mirror, it didn't look like a masterpiece, but I'll take God's word over my opinion any day. Amen? God wants to call me a masterpiece. I'll say, you're exactly right. Praise God. Right? And so, but this is what Ephesians 2, and it's talking about you, and it's talking about me, but it says, we are his masterpiece. Now watch this. That he created. But what did he create us for? He said, for the good works that he created beforehand so that we should walk in them. So this tells me yet again, God had good works for you and good works for me. And so he created me to walk those out. So how many understand, we've said it before, God doesn't start with a person, he starts with a purpose. Right? God starts with a vision and a purpose and then creates persons and he created you. So you were created from the vision of God, and you were created for the vision of God. If you don't get anything, just nothing else you get from me today, that's okay. But would you write that down so that you go here? I want you to go home with God's opinion of yourself and not your opinion of yourself and not someone else's opinion of yourself. I want you to have God's opinion of yourself. And if nothing else, Ephesians 2 verse 10, God thinks you're awesome. You're a masterpiece. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. Okay? Are you with me? God thinks pretty highly of you. I wish you thought as highly of you as God thinks of you. Amen? Yeah. And so we, we need vision. Now, I can't say that without saying this because this is true too. God has a vision for your life, right? I hate to tell you this, but Satan has a vision for your life. And while God's vision is hope and and God's vision is a future. Satan's vision is death and destruction. So you need to understand there are some competing visions in your life. And I think really significance, success, meaning, whatever you know, word you want to assign to it, I think is found in when my vision is God's vision. When there is a synergy and a congruency between my vision and God's vision, which also protects me from Satan's vision. Are you with me? And so I want you to understand God has a vision for your life. Let me give you five values of vision. You can write these down, five values of vision. Number one is vision identifies. Vision identifies. Ultimately, vision starts to help me identify God's purpose for me. In other words, it helps me to start understanding why God created me. What I'm working towards, if you think about, for instance, the people in the Bible that receive vision, some of the ones we talked about, Abraham was the father of our faith. David, if you think about his significance in leading God's people really to uh, you know, encounter and in a relationship with God and expanding God's rule and kingdom, you can think about Moses and the deliverance of God's people. But, but vision is where we really start to understand the purpose that God has for us. And listen, uh, here's This is a life principle, but it's also a leadership principle. You can't measure, I'm sorry, you can't manage what you can't measure, right? So for me to know if I'm managing my life, we would use this word stewarding. That's more of the church word. <laughs> if I'm stewarding my life correctly, I need something to measure it against. 
And, and I don't, listen, I don't measure my vision against someone else's, nor do I measure my life against someone else's. Paul even said this, comparing, each, comparing ourselves with each other is not wise. But I need something from the Lord that I'm measuring my life against, and that something is vision. That something is vision. I, I remember uh, when I was 19 years old, I was in uh, college at the time. At the time, I really wanted to do something in the medical field, and so those were the classes that I was taking. Um, but that was where God really clarified and gave me the vision for this church where we're at now um, was when I was 19 years old. Now, it was for a time appointed. Obviously, it wasn't for that time. I didn't know when we would get here. I didn't know what the buildings would look like. I didn't know those things, but I had the vision for the church. But once I had the vision for what we now call Pathway, I didn't have that name then. Once I had that vision, it started identifying, oh, this is the reason I'm existing this is, this is what I'm living towards. This is, this is something now that's giving me a sense of purpose and understanding of why God made me. And it gave me a way to measure, am I getting closer or farther away? So now I can steward my life better and I can manage my life better because now the vision gives me a sense of measurement to know, am I living on purpose? Am I living according to the vision? Am I living according to God's plan? You know, God can give you a vision, but if you don't ever move towards it, you'll never reach it. Are you with me? I've met a lot of people that have visions from God, and my question is, but what are you doing? Because, come on, Jonah, you're on the wrong boat going the wrong way. If you're supposed to be in Nineveh, you got to turn around. Are you with me? And so vision identifies... The next thing, number two value of vision is it clarifies. Well, what does it clarify? Well, it clarifies priorities. It can clarify convictions. It can clarify values. But it also clarifies a directionality. Um, I remember then when, when I, you know, okay, well, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be a pastor someday. Well, it, since I was supposed to be a pastor someday, going to medical school didn't necessarily seem the right path anymore. Right? Nothing wrong. I mean, if God calls you, you should go to medical school. Nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm saying when all of a sudden you thought you were going this way and God's like, well, I need to adjust. This is actually what I want you to aim towards here. Well, all of a sudden it changes priorities. In other words, what's first in my life and what's second in my life and what's third in my life? And all of that is, is based on on. Vision, it also changes values because at the time I was in a secular college and I was, you know, a nice person. And so I got invited to places that people who want to end up as pastors probably shouldn't go. Are you with me? But because I knew, I, you know, was it, because I knew, well, the, the plan for my life, the vision for my life is to be a pastor. And I knew that. Then I was like, well, these values don't work for me. I've got to have these values over here. Does that make sense? And so when I have vision, all of a sudden it starts clarifying what needs to be first in my life. What are the priorities of my life and, and what are the values? I mean, I remember I almost had my AMP1 textbook memorized. I could almost name every part of the body because I thought people are going to die if I don't know what that is. Right, And all of a sudden, I realized with the same veracity that I have been trying to memorize the AMP1 textbook, I better get in the Bible, and I better memorize some scripture. It created some priority. It created some values. It created some, um, some directionality. So it clarifies. The third value of vision is it restricts. Now, this sounds negative, but it's really very helpful. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision... People cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people, one version says perish. I believe there's been a lot of lives lost. I'm not saying they were lost early. I'm saying they never reached their potential because they never found vision. They perished without vision. And where there is no vision, people perish but this version, I like the SV because it says they cast off restraint. In other words, when there's no vision, there, there's, there's nothing telling, restricting my movements and my behaviors. There's nothing, there's nothing refining, if you will, the direction of my life that we're talking about. And so here, have you ever, you know, I don't know, we, we all went to school with that one guy that had a new major every semester. 
was at college 37 years and still never graduated? Because every week he had a new dream, a new idea, a new vision. He was this and then that. Well, that makes more money. I'll do that. Well, I don't like it. I got hard. I think I'll try this. In other words, there's no, there, there's, there's no focus, right? We're just all over the place with our lives. We're just wandering aimlessly through our life. But when there's, when there's vision, there's, there's focus, Right when there's vision, it restricts. Have you ever have you ever gone on maybe like a? Have uh, you seen horses? Um, we were in uh, New York a couple months ago, and you can do a carriage ride around Central Park. But they put the blinders on the on the horses, right? And that's so they don't get spooked by something going on in the peripheral and take off the wrong way, or so they don't see somebody eating an apple and decide they want to go eat their apple. I don't, you know what I'm saying? So it restricts their vision, so they can be more intentional with their movements and and really more successful, really with their movements. And this is what vision does: it puts some blinders on that brings focus to my life. It restricts my vision so that I'm always moving with intentionality in the right way. Listen, if you don't have vision, you don't have focus. And if you don't have focus, everything's an option and everything can be a distraction. Are you with me? So, so the third value of vision is it restricts. The fourth value of vision is it simplifies. Uh, vision narrows your opportunities and it narrows your options, but that's really good. Vision makes decisions for you. If you, I don't know if, if you're a business owner or you're in management especially. I know our pastors probably run into this a lot. I do. You can get decision fatigue, right? Because we make thousands of decisions a day. And if you run a business or if you run a company and you have to make not only your decisions, like you had to decide what shoes you were going to wear, but you also have to make decisions for many people in your company or the managers in your company or maybe all the employees in your company as far as who's going to do what, when, and where, and how, or, or what's, you know, how you're going to manage you know, uh, your, your, you know, if you have an inventory. I mean, there's obviously all these decisions. And sometimes you can just get decision fatigue where it's like, man, and literally, psychologically, this exists where it's just, I can't make good decisions. I can't make any more decisions. I'm just tired of making decisions. And by the way, if you haven't ever managed a company, if you've had kids, you've had decision fatigue. Amen. Are you with me? But the point is this, that when I have decision, when I have vision, it starts making decisions for me. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but vision will actually make relationship decisions for you. Come on. I, um, some of us in our lives could have saved ourselves from some pain if vision would have said no to somebody. Are you with me? Right? I mean, it, it is because you start saying, well, th this is not where I need to go. But sometimes this, I don't need to be in a close relationship with this person. For single people, sometimes if you, if you really know the direction you're supposed to go, then all of a sudden this person is not going the same direction. So, no, we shouldn't be in a relationship with them or we shouldn't date them because we have a vision. How can two walk together if they're not agreed? In other words, how can you really walk with someone if you don't share vision with them, right? It's, that's why it's important, especially marriage, married couples, like you should be at the marriage weekend because you leave with a sense of vision for your relationship so that you can walk together because you're going in the same direction. Are you with me? So, so vision, it simplifies and Speaking to the relational component, it creates unity as well. That's just another one. But, but it, it simplifies. And the fifth um, value of vision is it energizes. Remember what we said? One of the dangers of vision is that we have to slow down when we can't see. But when we can see, we can move faster. Well, think about Habakkuk because what God says is after you write it down, run. Once you have vision, you can move faster. Once you have vision, the people around you can move faster. And so he's saying, hey, vision expedites. But why does it expedite? Because vision, I think, brings passion. Like when I really have a vision that comes from the Lord, I get passionate about that vision because it is from the Lord and I get excited about it and I'm energized by it and I can't wait to get get moving, right? Like for me, all week long, just the fact that I was going to get to talk to you about vision because this is what I love to do and it's part of my vision. So the fact that I got to talk to you today, I was waiting all week long to get here to have this conversation because I'm like, oh, I just got to tell them. 
I just want to help somebody today. There's probably one person that needs some clarity, that needs some vision, and God's going to give it to them, and he's going to use me to help clarify some things and make some points. And I was very excited because this is what I do. It's my vision, so I'm energized by it. Like, I'm excited to do it, right? And, and, and so that's what vision does. It, it energizes because, think about this. Um, it is true, I should say this, it is true that it is possible we all have desires in us that came from us that didn't come from God. Are, are you with me? Like, like, I don't think my desire for junk food really came from the Lord. I think that I don't, I don't, I don't think it's from him. Uh, I do think he made the cocoa plant. I do think that. Um, I'm not sure, you know, he made sugar cane. So, I mean, he made the ingredients. You understand? Like, everything an M&M is made out of came from the Lord. And, uh, and I just want to point that out right now. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that God, you know, Jan eats ice cream. And, um, like, every night she eats ice cream. It's, it's her thing. And, and I started eating ice cream, and uh, then I started being larger. And it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect her in that way. I wonder the guys that will ice cream. Uh, ultimately, the cow eats the grass. Then the cow magically turns the grass into ice cream. It's somewhat of a miracle. So technically, ice cream is processed salad. And, uh, and you understand what I'm saying? It's really not about what's right. It's about what you can justify in life. No, it's, that's bad. Don't write that down. <laughs> Pastor Marty says. <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, <laughs> it is possible to have desires that are not holy and desires that are somewhat selfish because we are you know, beings that do exist in the flesh and we are being sanctified and we are working out our relationship with God and God is transforming us into the image of come. But there's a process. So there's the immediate work of salvation and then there's the progressive work of salvation. And so I get that. But there are desires. Here's what I need you to hear. There are desires that you have inside you right now that aren't from you. They are from God. They exist on the inside of you. When Scripture says, when God says, you know, He will give us the desires of our heart, He's not saying, if you serve your time, I'll give you what you want. <laughs> you know, that's not, like, God's not making you a prison deal. You understand? Like, like you know what? Hey, you, hey, you do really good. I'm going to, I'll help you in the end. No, what is He saying? He's saying, listen, as I draw near to God and as I really build my relationship with God, I'm going to come to realize that the, the strongest desires of my heart probably exist because of him and they actually accelerate or expand his kingdom he put them on the inside of me and that's why God says listen hey you you hang out with me you draw near to me right you you put me first yeah I'm gonna give you the desires of your heart because I put the desire there I'm the one that you, it didn't come from you. It came from me. And I didn't give you that desire to frustrate you. I gave you that desire to fulfill you because it came from me. And so you need to understand that, that ultimately God gives us the, these desires and, and ultimately they come from him. When we talk about finding our vision, what you And write this down. This, this will help you because now we're going to turn the corner into really finding our vision, okay? But write this down. What I believe, for the most part, your vision is actually inside of you. How do I know that? Because where does your vision come from? Help me out, everybody. Your vision comes from God. And who is inside of you? And who made you? And who created you? And who is recreating you into the image of his own son? God. And so I ultimately think so many times we're looking out here and we think, well, there's a good vision or there's a good vision or I saw this on TikTok or my friend did this or I saw this on Instagram. And those may be wonderful for whoever they are, but if you want to find vision, then you get with God and find out what did God put on the inside of you? Because listen to me, listen to me. I believe, this would be good to write down. I believe design reveals destiny. Let me say it another way. God has a plan and a purpose. We'll call that destiny. 
Well, if God wants you to get there, then he designs you to get there. If God wants you to do that, he designs you to do that. Write this down. God never uses what you don't have. God doesn't need what you don't have because so many times we will sit in our pew and say, well, God, I can't do that because I'm not, kind of like Moses, I'm not good with words. I'm not good with words either. I, I have a terrible vocabulary, right? But I can get really excited and make a point. I'm not good with words. I'm good with arguments. Are you with me? Like my mama said, baby, be a preacher or a lawyer. It's your only hope. Right? But the point is, God, I believe, design reveals destiny. And if God designed me in a way, or if God destined me, then God designed me, and God gave me what I needed to get there. God never uses what you don't have. He never asks for what you don't have, and he never calls who you are not. He only calls who you are with what you have, with where you have, because God actually doesn't need you to do it. He needs you to surrender to it, and if you'll surrender to it, he'll use you to do it, and he'll make up what you don't have. Like Just like your, your word says, like Paul says, his strength is made perfect when I can't. In my weakness, God can't. He needs, listen, he needs my availability a lot more than he needs my, my ability. But I think ultimately, I think, I think your vision's inside of you because God's inside of you. And remember, vision, listen, vision, vision comes from God, let me give you some things to consider when, you're, when, you, when you want to consider. You might ask these, you can ask yourself these questions. You may want to jot them down. I'll, I'll give you four questions really quickly. Number one, what thoughts do I have that will not leave? Thoughts that will not leave. What thoughts do I have that I've never got? They don't leave. They don't leave. I, I've had these thoughts for years and years and years. That's the first question. Here's another question. What dreams do I have that, that don't die? What are the dreams that I have? They just don't die. They just keep coming up again, coming up again. They just don't ever die. What thoughts do I have that won't leave? What dreams do I have that won't die? What ideas do I have that don't fade? These ideas just don't go away, right? And then what desires do I have that don't diminish? I think these are four great questions to ask on this, on this path, if you will, to finding God's vision for your life, if I have thoughts that won't leave, dreams that won't die, ideas that don't fade, desires that don't diminish, this really is helping, I think, me to understand what God has locked up on the inside of me. Another way to say it is, what desire do I have that would change something in the world? What desire do I have that changed something in the world? Another thing to say is, if, it, if it's a problem that bothers you, maybe you're called to do something about it. I mean, sometimes finding God's vision for our life is that happy medium between what ticks us off and what makes us tick. Right? Like, like for me, like what makes me tick is this, like today makes me tick because I feel like here are people, I see you leaning in, you're writing things down. You're like, okay, we're with you, preacher. Like we want to live the life God called us to. We want to live on purpose. That fires me up. What, what ticks me off? When I see people wasting their lives, Right? and choosing to do that. I, no, I don't get mad at them. It just, you know, it ticks me off. I'm like, stupid devil. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, like I want to go get them. It's like, God has a plan for your life. You know what I'm saying? But that's weird to do in Walmart. And so, um, <laughs> you know, and, and then what really, you know, one of the things, like I love, another thing I get, I realize uh, this, Really, this last year, I'm so protective of, of the Big C Church. So not just, I'm obviously protect, protective of Pathway, but the Big C Church, because I see so many enemies of the church today. In fact, I think the thing that's threatening the church more than anything else, there are a few huge threats that I see. One is, today, pastors care more about being famous than making disciples. And so, so because of that, they don't preach the truth. They preach for clicks. And this is, this is horrendous, and it is it's heretical in a lot of ways, what they're teaching. But they won't actually talk about the right things the right way, and we're leaving good, sound theological doctrine behind because all we're really interested in is being more famous 
And so we're using the pulpit and all the church's resources to build our kingdom of fame so we can write a book or whatever and leave the church and go do a podcast or whatever. And so to me, that's something that's really bothered me. And then another thing is just the, the doctrine of demons. It happens, you know, there was the liberal theology that came out in the early 1900s. Today we have the progressive Christian, Christian theology, which undermines the deity of Christ and the inerrancy of Scripture. And that's, by the way, that's what you need to do in order to have a fake gospel is you have to remove the deity, the specialness that is Jesus, the holiness that is Jesus. You undermine the, the essentially the authority of God's word and you undermine the, the what made Jesus Jesus, the fact that he was God incarnate. And so so to me, these are these are things. But I realized this last week, I was listening to a clip on Instagram and I just got mad. I got mad. I was like, Whoa! Like, I was about to go prophetically psycho Billy Ninja if I could have got a hold of somebody in that moment, right? Like, woof. Anyways, and I thought, what is this? And I thought, man, I don't like it because it's false doctrine, it's bad teaching, and it's motivated by selfish ambition. And it is actually, in my opinion, taking advantage of the church. And I don't like that. And so to me, you know, this it's between what ticks you off and what makes you tick, everybody. Are you with me? Let, let me give you three, I'm going to call them three steps. They're very simple. If you want to find God's vision for your life, let me give you these three. The, the first one is this, capture it. Capture it. And what I mean by that, remember what God told Habakkuk, right? He said, write it down. Write it down. Guys, I don't have time to go through all the science of this. There's power in writing things down. If it wouldn't have been, then God wouldn't have told Habakkuk to write it down. Even David makes this comment. He said, these things I didn't understand until I wrote them down. King David said that. And so, by the way, that's, you can't search it exactly like that because that's a paraphrased version. I think the actual quote would be, he made known to me these things in writing, but he's by my own hand. I think that's going to be closer if you want to Google that verse. Anyways, but the point is, there's power in writing it down. So capture it. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't know what to write down. Here's where I think people get blocked. You sit down and try to write a vision statement, but what you need to do is try to unpack vision. So when I say capture it, you could say brainstorm it. In other words, I'm going to sit down. Now, you're going to sit down with God. Come on. Good vision is not dreamed up. It's prayed down. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? So you're going to sit down with God, and you're going to try to unpack how God has designed you, what makes you tick, what ticks you off. Maybe look at some of these questions like, what are the thoughts that don't leave, the dreams that don't die, the thoughts that never go away? What are those things? And you're not trying to get a sentence. You're trying to fill a page or two with things that are in in your heart. They're desires of your heart. You're going to get them out on paper. You're going to capture them on paper, right? And so you're going to write that down. Just, you know, whatever, like, God, I'm really passionate about this. I really love this. This kind of annoys me. Like, here's a dream I've always had. Here's a thought that won't go away. Here's a desire that just never seems to fade away, right? And, and we're just putting this on paper with the Lord, processing with God in our quiet time. If it takes a month, fine. It's, we're not putting a timestamp. It's not like a drive-through thing. I know we live in the drive-through world, but sometimes vision is not necessarily something you just drive through and get on a Sunday. Come on, somebody. All right, you just can't order a number three at you know Chick Fil A and walk away with vision. All right, and so I mean you can get away with chicken, but not vision. And so, and so capture it. The next step is is consolidate consolidated. And here's where I'm really weighing this out. And so I take all these different fragments and ideas and statements or whatever, and I try to put them in categories if I can and name the categories. Uh, I try to see what's alike about them or how they fit together. So I'm trying to consolidate, trying to distill, maybe that's a good word, to distill this down. And ultimately, I want to take all of that and, and I want to get it to maybe four sentences at most, somewhere between two and four sentences. One and one is great, but somewhere between two and four sentences, five if you just have to, but you consolidate it down. Um, and, and, and then once it's consolidated, then here's the third one, you contemplate. This is where we go back to the Lord again. Really go back to the Lord and say, hey, I've kind of got a paragraph here. I've got four sentences, three sentences, something like that. 
But Lord, I want to sit with you and I want us to go over this because remember, good vision is not dreamed up, it's prayed down. Are you with me? And so God, you know, let's, let's work on it and refine it, right? Um, and then this is where you, come on, this is a revision, come on somebody, to vision again, right? Revision. And that's where you just keep working it down. And hopefully you leave here now with a sentence. It could be a complex sentence if you want. But it's a sentence, and it's one that you feel like, okay, God and I have met, right? I have captured it. I have, you know, I have distilled this down. I've consolidated it. I've contemplated it with the Lord. And by the way, contemplating may take a few weeks. I'm not saying this is something that just happens on a Monday morning. It could be that clear, but it's okay to take some time with this because remember, we're trying to get a, a life vision, a vision for our lives if, if we don't have one. Or even if we have one, we're trying to make it as clear. Come on, that's what Habakkuk said. Make it plain, God said to Habakkuk. Make it plain, right? I don't know about you. I need things plain. I'm pretty simple, right? I need things plain. And so when you get there, then you can always come back and reevaluate it as you're walking through life. Because it is true, in different seasons, God may nuance that vision a different way for a different people group or for a different company or for a different idea or whatever the case may be. God can, I mean, he can make in-course corrections. So we, this is something we walk out with him. It's not something that we walk out by ourselves. Are, are you with me? Here's what I want you to understand is God, if, if you, nothing else... God has this incredible vision for creation. And out of that vision, you were created and I was created. And, and we were created for God's vision. So God has a vision for you. And God has a plan for you. And God has a purpose for you. And I think not just about getting unstuck as we're talking about. I think just life in general, having success or fulfillment for life to be meaningful, for us to sleep well at night, I think is about living God's plan and walking out God's purpose. And we don't do that without God's vision. So I want you to understand God just doesn't call pastors, right? God calls everybody. You, Romans 8 says, you are called according to the purpose of God. Well, if God calls you, you had a vision, because God starts with vision. He turns on the light first. And so, church, I want us all, especially this last week of the fast, let's lean in to a God-born vision for our lives and really try to understand the plans, like we read in Jeremiah 29, that God has for us for a hope and a future. And that way, if you feel stuck, you can see your way out. If you're a little confused and wandering around, you can see your way forward. But I want everyone to have God's vision for their life, especially if you feel your way stuck today. If you feel stuck today, you can see your way out. Amen. Come on, give Jesus praise today. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.